Today's scripture is Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 to 22. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all the work they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Chiphra, and the other Pua, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birthstool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. You may be seated. Thank you. As we get seated, let me pray for us. Gracious, faithful, heavenly Father, this cold winter morning, as we gather around the fire of your word, would you warm our hearts? Would you warm our hearts and you, would, you, would you warm the hearts of the kids downstairs that we as one church would glorify you today? In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. I'm one of the team here um, and it's my joy to open up God's Word with you today. Today we're in our second sermon in our series on the book of Exodus. Last week, we saw that the first seven verses of Exodus uh, were about God's faithfulness to His promises. Through God's faithfulness, the man Joseph went from slave to, prim to prisoner to prime minister of Egypt. And as the prime minister of Egypt, Joseph was used by God to save his father Jacob, also known as Israel, and his entire family from a terrible famine because he could invite them to come and live with him in Egypt, where there was food and plenty. And while they were in Egypt, the Israelites, as we learned last week, were fruitful and multiplied just as God promised. Joseph's descendants were treated well on Joseph's account. But in our passage today, we have the first complication in the story. Look at verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. For those who are not familiar, uh, Pharaoh and the king of Egypt are the same person. Pharaoh is just the title for the king of Egypt. There arose a new Pharaoh who did not acknowledge all that Joseph had done for Egypt. And so now we see dark clouds gathering. Dark clouds, storm clouds gathering over the people of Israel and they're about to enter a huge storm a huge storm of suffering and difficulty, and this is where we are in our passage today. 
As we get into our passage, as we look at this storm, we're going to look at the four main characters in this passage. We're going to look at evil Pharaoh, courageous Shifra and Pua, and faithful God. Evil Pharaoh, courageous Shifra and Pua, and, evil, and a faithful God. So to our first point, evil Pharaoh. Look at verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. Before we go on, I want, I want us to begin by asking ourselves the question, Pharaoh, good guy or bad guy? It, it, it sounds a bit like a silly question because I have sort of given the game away by titling this point, Evil Pharaoh. <laughs> but let's pretend you didn't know that. I'm a creature of habit, so I had to give you the point before that. Let's take a step back and ask ourselves, Pharaoh, good guy or bad guy? Actually, it depends who you're asking in some way. If you think about it, you could argue from one point of view that Pharaoh is actually quite a good guy. He's dialed into how his people feel. As a leader, he knows that the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. He has foresight. He's forward-looking. He's able to identify potential problems on the horizon, and he's wise. It's translated here as shrewd, but he's wise. He decisively takes steps to effectively solve the problem. In some ways, depending on who you ask, you could argue, Pharaoh is quite a good guy. And yet, I titled this point, Evil Pharaoh, because our text is clear, Pharaoh is the bad guy in this story. Spoiler alert. And it does that by giving us, the text tells us this by giving us clear signposts. And the first signpost we have that Pharaoh is evil is that he opposes God's purposes. Pharaoh opposes God's purposes. In Genesis 17, God promises Abraham that, he would, that God would make Abraham and his descendants fruitful and multiply. Look at 17 verse 1, if you have your Bibles. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared before Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Later on in Genesis 46, God promises Jacob, who is Abraham's grandson, that God will bring up Jacob's family up again from Egypt. Look at Genesis 46. God, uh, 46 verse 3, Then God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. God promises to multiply the people of Israel. And even as they go down into Egypt, he promises to bring them up again from Egypt. Now, with that in mind, look closely at what Pharaoh says in 1 verse 9. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from 
the land. I, I bolded the word escape because the Hebrew word translated as escape in Exodus 1.10 is the same word that God uses in Genesis 46 when he promises to bring the Israelites up again from Egypt. The point is this. The author uses this specific language to show us Pharaoh is explicitly opposed to God's purposes and promises for Israel. Pharaoh opposes the fact that they have multiplied and he opposes the possibility that one day they will escape, they will be brought up again from Egypt. Pharaoh opposes God's purposes in Christ's city. We need to ask ourselves, in what ways might we oppose God's purposes in our lives? In what ways might we, in our self-centeredness, in hard-headedness, be living in opposition to God's purposes for us and for others? When was the last time we sat down and asked God, what is your purpose for me? Back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't just oppose God's purposes, he opposes God's place. And again, the author of Exodus does this by making connections with, some, with something from the book of Genesis. In Genesis, the Tower of Babel was one of these significant moments of rebellion where people opposed God's place as ruler over all the people, got together, and they tried to build a tower to reach heaven so that they could make a name for themselves. So they could take God's place as their ruler over all. Look at Genesis 11 verse 4. Then they said, Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Now there, I might look again at, at, at Exodus 1 verse 10. Look very closely at the wording. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. That's what Pharaoh says. Pharaoh says, come, let us deal shrewdly with them. And then he orders to Israel, the Israelites to what? To build cities for him. The author of Exodus, again, is using these subtle similarities in language to make a clear point. When he says, come, let us, and uses the theme of building, he is connecting Pharaoh with the people of the Tower of Babel. Just as the people of the Tower of Babel opposed God's rightful place as ruler over all, Pharaoh opposes God's rightful place as ruler over all. Later on, what is subtle becomes explicit when Pharaoh openly questions God, when he positions himself as more powerful than God. Look ahead in Exodus 5 verse 2. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Christ City, in what ways might we be like Pharaoh? In what ways might we oppose God's place as ruler over all? Each day, do we seek what we want or what God wants? Do we seek to give glory to ourselves or to give glory to God? Each day, do we, in the words of John the Baptist, seek to decrease so that God may increase? Pharaoh opposes God's purposes. He opposes God's place. And he opposes God's design. Genesis 1.27 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God has created every human being 
male and female in his image. And therefore, he has designed every human being to be valued and treated with dignity and respect. But that's not what Pharaoh did. Pharaoh opposes God's design. Instead of treating the people of Israel with respect and dignity, he oppresses them. He treats them with cruelty. Look at verse 11 again. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. We are meant to read these verses and be left with absolutely no doubt about Pharaoh's cruelty and oppression. Look again, verse 11, he afflicts them with heavy burdens. Verse 12, he oppresses them. But verse 13, they, he, he's ruthless and harsh to them. He makes them slaves. Verse 14, he makes their lives bitter with hard service. And he ruthlessly, harshly makes them work as slaves. One commentator puts it this way, the words describing Pharaoh's cruelty pile on each other the same way that his bur the burdens and cruelty he piles on the helpless Israelites. And that's not all. It gets worse. When Pharaoh realizes that cruelty and oppression are not enough to stop them from multiplying, he turns to cold-blooded murder. He tells the Hebrew midwives to kill all the male newborns. And when that doesn't seem to work, he tells all the Egyptians to throw every male child into the Nile River. Christ City, it's not right. In fact, it's evil. Opposing God's design is evil. God created every human being in His image. And so, treating even a single human being as less than you is evil. Oppressing the weak is evil. Murdering the vulnerable is evil. It's evil, but it's not the only time in human history it's happened, has it? Pharaoh and the Egyptians are doing what humans have done throughout history and are doing even right now. They treat poorly those who do not look or sound like them. They oppress the outsider in order to protect themselves. They disadvantage the vulnerable to advantage themselves. They are afraid of those who are not like them and so they treat them as though they are beneath them. And let's be clear, it's not just Pharaoh who's at fault here. The order starts with Pharaoh in verse 8. But if you look carefully, in verse 11, it is other Egyptians who are carrying out Pharaoh's orders. And then by verse 12, it is all of Egypt who is in dread of the Israelites. All of Egypt in some shape or form, in some way, participate in the oppression and cruelty against a fellow human being. Christ, my point is this. We should never read about another person's evil and think, that could never be me. History is full of examples of ordinary people who ended up doing extraordinary evil. 
Because they were just following orders. Because they were just doing what everyone else was doing. Because they were just acting on their fears and self-preservation. Christ City, God's word is crystal clear. It doesn't matter what the power of the land calls us to do. It doesn't matter what everyone else says or thinks or does. It doesn't matter what we are afraid will happen. God has designed every single person to be valued and treated with respect and dignity. God calls us to respond to our fears and our dread of others by treating others as God calls us to treat others, with love and kindness and compassion, protecting the weak and looking out for the vulnerable. So first character, evil Pharaoh. Next two characters, courageous Shifra and Pua. And off the bat, we need to see something here. The midwives are named Shifra and Pua, but Pharaoh isn't. The most powerful person in the land remains faceless and nameless, but these two midwives, their names are recorded for all of history. And the author is doing something profound here. He's showing us that Shifra and Pua are the ones who are the heroes of the story. They are the ones who we should honour and respect. They weren't the only midwives for, Isra for the Israelites, but they were probably the leaders of the midwives. And Pharaoh orders them to kill all the newborns. Look at verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. Shifra and Pua had to make a choice. They had to decide. They couldn't just bury their heads in the sand and hope that the problem would somehow go away. I've tried that before. And it often doesn't help. They had to make a choice. And choosing to do what was right carried the very real possibility of losing their lives. And not just their own lives, but probably the lives of their loved ones. So they had to make a choice. And you know what? No one had to know what they did. No one had to know. All they had to say was that the baby didn't make it. Because these things happen, don't they? They might even have been able to rationalize killing the babies. I didn't kill the baby. I just let the baby die. I didn't have much of a choice. I'm doing what needs to be done to protect my family and maybe even protect my people. You never know. Maybe if I obey this command, my people may be kept safe. And yet, Despite the very real possibility of execution, look at what they did. Verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. The author is just explicit. They did not do what they were commanded to do. And to be clear, they let the male children live. Before I go on, I just need to say that anyone who comes away from the Bible thinking that women are not to be honoured or respected has read their Bibles completely wrongly. 
utterly and completely. The heroes of chapters 1 and 2 of Exodus, they are all women. We have Shifra and Puah in chapter 1, and then in chapter 2, we have Moses' mother and sister and Pharaoh's daughter, which is an interesting twist. These five women are the heroes of chapters 1 and 2. They are the ones who stand up for what is right. They are the ones who God uses to protect the Israelites. So what happens next? Let's get back to the story. After a few years, and it's probably a few years because that would have been how long it would have taken for Pharaoh to realize that his orders have not been followed, he realizes something is off. There's still many male babies going around. And so he confronts Shifra and Puah, verse 18. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Shifra and Pua persevered, courageously persevered in doing right, not just for a moment, but for years. And all this time, if you think about it, they did what was right without knowing what was going to happen to them. They had no idea. As readers, we know, because we can just read the next line of the story, but for Shifra and Pua, they're living it out. The story has not been written yet. They had to go through years of uncertainty, years of doing what was right while not knowing what was going to happen. They had no idea that their names and actions would one day be recorded for all of us to read here in God's Word. They had no idea what Pharaoh would do when he found out. They had no idea if their disobedience would make any difference. Maybe Pharaoh would just find another way to kill the babies. There was so much they did not know for so long and yet they persevered in doing what was right because they feared God. We see the same phrase at the start and the end of this section that frames it, the midwives feared God. <coughs> we see it, we see it, verse 17, but the midwives feared God. And, and then in verse 21, and because the midwives feared God. Unbe clear about what fearing God means. Fearing God doesn't just mean to be scared of God. Fearing God means to have the right response to God's goodness and greatness as the one we are all ultimately accountable to. Let me say that again. Fearing God doesn't mean to be just scared of God. It means to have the right response to God's goodness and greatness as the one we are all ultimately accountable to. And it's important. It's important to see that Shifra and Pua's courage didn't just come out of thin air. It was, it's rooted in the fear of God because if not, we will come away from this passage with the wrong conclusions. The main point of this passage is not don't be evil like Pharaoh or be courageous like Shifra and Pua. That's, that's not the main point because on our own, we will do evil things. On our own, we will have moments, plenty of moments, when we are more cowardly than courageous. 
Don't get me wrong. Fleeing evil and being courageous is good. But these actions have to start with rightly fearing God. You can't manufacture it out of thin air. <coughs> Which is why God sent His Son so that we could rightly fear God. Jesus Christ came to live a life that was perfectly good and perfectly resisted all evil. He lived a life of perfect courage. He did what was right, even when he knew exactly what it would cost him. And his courage led him to the cross, to die on the cross for us so that he could destroy the power of evil once and for all. And so for all of us who have put our faith in Jesus, he helps us to rightly fear God. He gives us new hearts to taste of His goodness and His greatness. And once we have tasted of Jesus' goodness, our hearts are changed. We want nothing more than to live for the one who gave His life to set us free. We want nothing more than to resist evil. We want nothing more than, have to, than to have the courage to confront evil. And just as Jesus changes our hearts, He clothes us with His Spirit. He doesn't just give us the desire, He gives us the power. God's Spirit gives us His power to resist evil and His courage to confront evil. His Spirit enables ordinary people to do extraordinary good. Just now, we saw how ordinary people can end up doing extraordinary evil, but here, we see how with the right fear of God, empowered by God, Ordinary people can be used by God to do extraordinary good. Shifra and Pua were just ordinary people doing their very ordinary day jobs as midwives who God used to do extraordinary good. Christ City, when we think about what good God may do through us, we don't have to think big plans and being in big positions. We start with right where we are. Shifra and Pua didn't have to go for this special course and, go for, and do this special job. No, they, they did what they needed to do where they were. Christ City, what extraordinary good might God be planning to do through you? Actually, what extraordinary good has God already been doing through you? <coughs> Standing up for what is right in the workplace or in the classroom. Sharing your faith with that person in the park. Turning away from what is wrong, even when no one else is looking. Closing the computer so you can spend time with your family. Persisting in prayer and Bible reading, even when you don't feel like it. Dragging yourself out of the house to gather with God's people, even when it is such a struggle. Christ City, I want to encourage you, because I have heard many of your stories. Praise God for the extraordinary good He is doing through you. And I want to encourage us to persevere. What extraordinary good is God planning to do through each of you? But remember, doing what is right will not always be easy. 
Like Shifra and Pua, we may be called to do what is right even when it is going to cost us. And even when we don't know how much it's going to cost us. <coughs> we can, we should, in fact, we must persevere in doing what is right because our God is faithful. And while we don't know how much it's going to cost us, we know this, He is worth it. This is our final point, and I'll keep it short. Faithful God. Lastly, we learned about how God is faithful and remains faithful to His promises. We see it again in today's passage. The Egyptians start oppressing the Israelites in the first place because they have multiplied just as God promised. And even while the Israelites are suffering and are oppressed, what happens? They continue multiplying. Why? Just as God promised. Look at verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. The point is this, God remains faithful to His promises even amidst suffering and oppression. But there's one more thing. Flip back to Genesis 15 verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain, for certain, that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for hundreds of years. God is talking about Egypt. Way before they even entered Egypt, God knew exactly what was going to happen to the Israelites in Egypt. He knew that they would become enslaved for certain. He knew they would be afflicted for hundreds of years. And yet, He led them there. So what does this teach us about suffering and God's faithfulness? Let me give us four points, and that's, and that's how we're going to end. Not long points, don't worry. First, suffering doesn't necessarily mean that you're in the wrong place. The Israelites were suffering in the place that God had led them to, and sometimes, for reasons we may not understand, God leads us to places where we will suffer. Secondly, suffering does not mean that God is not faithful. The story of Exodus shows us that God remains faithful to every single one of His promises, even as they go through suffering, and we can hold on to that. Third, so first, suffering doesn't necessarily mean that you're in the wrong place. Second, suffering does not mean that God is not faithful. And third, Because God is faithful, by His Spirit, we can persist in doing what is right even when it is difficult, even when it is costly, just like Shifra and Pua. Because God is faithful, we can persist in doing what is right, right where we are, where God has led us to. Shifra and Pua could have become bitter They could have questioned God, why have you put me in this place? Why have you allowed this to happen? Why did you lead us here? Why did you give me this promotion so that Pharaoh speaks to me? 
But that's not what they did. They trusted God and they got going. God, you have led us here. Now what do you want us to do? And fourthly, and finally, because God is faithful, one day he will bring all suffering to an end. Because God is faithful, we know that he will bring all suffering to an end. God can use suffering for good, but we need to be clear. That doesn't mean that suffering is good, okay? God can use suffering for good, but don't think that suffering is good. There's no place for suffering in heaven. Suffering is the result of sin and evil. And even as God in His sovereignty can use suffering for good, He will bring suffering to an end by defeating sin and evil. In Exodus, God rescues His people from slavery and suffering by defeating evil Pharaoh and then ending their suffering. For us today, who live as part of the greater Exodus, God rescues us from slavery by sending Jesus to defeat the evil one by dying on the cross for our sins. Jesus suffered on our behalf so that he not only understands our suffering, but so that he could also end our suffering by getting rid of the power of evil and sin once and for all. And so Christ City, even as we suffer, our God is faithful. Even as we suffer, our God is faithful, and so we look forward to the day when all suffering will end. Revelation 21, the writer is given a vision of that day. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Christ city, one day suffering will pass away. And we know that for certain because our God is faithful. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's stand as we respond to God's word together.